0: The Standing Orders Podcast.
1: Oh, well, I had started, but now I'll start again. (laughs) Okay, so I'll do one more. Hold on. Okay, let's just settle. (laughs) Okay. Let's try and get through um, the intro. Hold on.
0: The Standing Orders Podcast.
1: Welcome to this latest edition of... Now I can't even speak. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is just crazy. Absolutely crazy. Okay. I'll do the intro once more.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Standing Orders Podcast.
1: Welcome to this latest edition of the Standing Orders podcast with me, Dr. Thomas Foreman, and my co-host, Councillor Sue
0: Lorne. Good evening, Thomas. How are you? I'm very well, Councillor. And how are you? Oh, just fine and dandy. Thank you very much for asking.
1: Can I just say, I appreciate the pause that you give me between my question and your answer, just to make me think the technology has failed miserably again.
0: No, it's not failed miserably. It's just giving us a little bit of, uh, um, it's just teasing us a little bit. We'll uh, we'll work this out. Don't worry.
1: Perfect. Um. So I think after the the last podcast, we were talking about uh, local government organisation, and is this the model of local government that you would like to see? And if it isn't, what would you like to see? Instead, and actually it becomes even more topical with the announcement today, well, the day that we're recording it um that Norfolk has secured a devolution deal, and so that is a big deal for norfolk and and for local government in Norfolk as well and I believe the devolution uh package that's been offered is a directly elected leader at the county council. And that will be happening from May 2024. And attached to it is a good financial package, which will be put towards services um, in the communities in Norfolk and will, as Michael Gove said, mean that uh, local, uh, basically local representatives are making decisions on spend as opposed to Whitehall. So let me start by asking you a question, Councillor. When did you first hear that the Steve Lucian deal had been signed?
0: (laughs) How did I know you were going to ask me that? To be honest, um, I found out this evening on, um, on Anglia news. So um, I, I'd Talked about it many times over the past few years, about where things were going to evolve and how things were moving on, and um, the last time that I had any information on it, they were still in discussions with it. So it was very much a surprise whenever I realised that um, it was that the papers were actually signed, that the deal was made, and the papers were signed today in both Norfolk and Suffolk. So. Um, Yes, I think that it, it probably is time for us to to move on to devolution. It's time for us to take control of the area that we live in and the funding that we have. And uh, I hope that it will be a benefit to, to Norfolk, um, that we will be able to to determine a bit more about where Our uh, funding goes to. I'm worried that it's not enough funding. I'm worried that it's that the figures sound fantastic, but then when you put things into perspective and the deficit that the county council is running to at the moment, it, um, I'm. I'm not so sure that it. It's. It's the. The best deal that we could have had, but time will tell. We. We just have to go with it, and I really hope that it is going to be for the benefit of the county. As for the elected town, uh, sorry, the elected county leader, I'm. Um, I'm not quite sure how that's. That's going to to work out, but. Um. But again, you know, it gives the people more say on, um, on on what's happening in their area. So I guess it's going to be a case of watch this space.
1: Are you going to throw your hat in for the election?
0: <laughs> I could so do that.
1: After town mayor, will it be county mayor? <laughs>
0: it could be, it could be. But it's not, it's not going to be a mayor, is it? It's going to be a leader. I, know. I think that's but, what I they, mean, they determined, tough, that it wouldn't be a mayor.
1: I I mean, and this is part of my kind of, not issue, but I I guess that the fact is that you don't have a huge amount of information about how this is going to work. And I guess that's what really surprises me about it, that you found out as a district councillor, Um, And as as a town mayor, you know, you heard through the the news the same way that I heard and the same way that probably pretty much everyone else heard that it dearly had been done was through the local media. And I just think, you know, it's going to be a, a change for the district councils. It's going to be a change for the communities in Norfolk if this goes the way it should. It should be a big change for the communities in Norfolk because all the communities should benefit from this. And so for those communities to find out, through the six o'clock news, including the town and parish councils, it just surprises me that there hasn't been more communication kind of outside of the press to kind of let us know what's happening.
0: I think it would have been good, even if it was, you know, just an email, just to say last night, an email to come through, which just simply saying that the deal was going to be signed. And um, as a you know, to the district emails that that didn't that didn't come through. So um, so but, you know, it's it's something that. Was going to happen. It it would have been good if, as a district councillor, we would have been advised. But um, again, I should think that the situation with the district councils is still evolving. So um, so we'll we'll have to wait and see how how that's going to affect district. And um, and with the elections being in May, it um, you know you would have thought. I, I know that they're, they've said that the, the new this new system, the new leadership of the county will be for the 24 elections. So um, I guess everything will evolve in that time and uh, more information will come forward. I think the thing that they were trying to get out today was the funding that was going to come along with that.
1: Yeah, I don't I mean I don't think there's going to be any changes to the governance of the district. Um and I think that was one of the criticisms that came from I think it was Breckland District Council saying that uh you know basically this devolution deal probably won't deliver the best outcome for Norfolk and that actually an amalgamation of the councils together to uh, to have one unitary authority or two unitary authorities in Norfolk uh leave the town and parish councils obviously in place as they do elsewhere. And that would be a much better package for delivering services as opposed to going for this kind of elected leader of the county council package, um, which, as you say, the the finance sounds great, but actually, you know, is it going to be? And I guess that's kind of takes us from where we were talking at the last podcast to, you know, is this structure of local government what we would want to see? And is the current arrangements around, at least in Norfolk, having a county district and Town and Parish Council, I mean, you know, there are other unitary authorities which are perished, um, well, throughout the country, really, with the exception of places like London. I mean, you know, would you want to see that? And, and equally, you know, when I read the news article today about the devolution package, it reminded me of an article I read in 2020 um, in the MJ. And, you know, I hate reading things. Um, on a podcast, because I think if you wanted to hear someone read something, you'd listen to a bloody audiobook. But But um, back in 2020, and if you'll indulge me, town mayor, for me just to say it, um, Jonathan Flowers said that at the recent MJ Future Forum, the top question on the lines, between the lines and sometimes hanging in the Zoom like a bad smell was, why doesn't central government get local government?" And these were some of the reasons I hear a lot of the time. One, what they do is relatively peripheral to the breadth of my day job. Two, there are so many of them, and they're also different, different sizes, different local issues. Three, the ones I hear from conferences and occasionally read about are awesome, but others I can't trust them to deliver. Four, because they're sovereign organisations with their own accountability, I can't control them. It's better to solve problems in ways where I do have direct control. Five, they're really broke. They don't have much resource to align with my issue, and I worry that if I give them some, it will get diverted to other things. Six, I understand that theoretically they could be part of the solution. Seven, But actually, I don't really know what they do. And honestly, I'm so busy that I don't feel inclined to learn. And then Jonathan finishes with, I hear these reasons a lot of the time, but I don't hear them in relation to central and local government. I do hear them when council chiefs explain to me why they don't do much with their local town, parish or community council. And I guess it it kind of feels with like the news today that it's a complete surprise that actually that applies in Norfolk.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And I think
1: that, and I think the the issue for us really is when you're looking at like the model of local government, um, is this really what we wanted to see? And actually, you know, you you then look at how devolution has been packaged elsewhere, and you look at what was kind of promoted earlier this year with uh, the kind of drive to make it easier to establish new town and parish councils. And the district councils network has warned that that could lead to confusion and that actually the network was sceptical about the idea and doesn't want it to undermine the important powers that they already hold to improve the lives of residents and communities. And you think, you know, when you have a county council that perhaps isn't necessarily speaking as clearly as it could, with communities, and, and district councils who feel that the creation of town and parish councils undermines the good work of the district councils, and then you have district councils saying we don't believe that the devolution deal secured in somewhere like Norfolk is actually going to deliver what is best for communities.
0: Why does everyone bother? And I think, is as you were saying, it's a case of central government isn't paying attention to anybody now. the the top lit the top tier of local government is is you know they they do what they want to do and then they'll just bring the yes, districts along and parishes along when it suits. Absolutely,
1: and I mean, I guess I I kind of get more frustrated when when I think about the good work that could be done in communities, and I think actually nine times out of ten, town and parish councils are. Actually, infused to do services and to provide services for their community, and to work closely with district and county councils to deliver that. But generally, it's always felt like either a service that the district or county don't want to do is going to be dumped down on a town and parish. That that may happen with or without kind of your consent, and often with yeah. highways you will always find, you know, they always say contact your town and parish council and let them contact us instead of dealing with the public directly. And you just kind of get the feeling that, you know, if it's being offered to you, it's often too good to be true, that there's normally a reason why that service is coming down to you as opposed to um, anything else. And so I think, you know, looking at what we could do, in the community i'm not entirely sure that the current system is really enabling us to do it
0: yeah i don't think it i don't think it's for the benefit i don't think we'll benefit from it i think we'll be more detached from it
1: you said in the last podcast that uh, you had lots of ideas as to what you would like to see with local councils and local governance so what would you like to see <laughs>
0: In, in in what um, perspective do you mean to start off with?
1: Okay, so what model of local government would you like to see nationally?
0: Nationally? I would I would much prefer that, um, like, you know, what you were saying um, at the very beginning of that um, statement that you were reading out, it's a case of they just don't get local government and I that's the to me local government is the most important. It's the most important to be. You know, we we're delivering the goods that the people need. We're delivering the services that people need. So we should be the ones that are the most in, not the most important, but the ones that they understand better. The feedback that we can give in is got to be is got to be better. And I would much prefer to see that we can take back what's important and this devolution if it works and if it's going to come as as it as the package says then it it, it should be beneficial but it is more that there should be a lot more respect for the p- town and parish councils from the district and then there should be more respect from the county towards the districts and heavens central office or central government should have a lot more respect for the people that are on the ground and actually listening to what the the residents have to say and what the residents want. So yes, I, I think that we, we need to, we need to take back and hopefully this devolution will, will be the start of us um, getting back to basics in, in the, the first tier of local government. I
1: mean, we are the most centralized uh, country in Europe in terms of how power is wielded. And central government still has a huge amount of control over the lives of, of people in communities. And, you know, the devolution of that power down is great. But then I also think, you know, Michael Gove was talking about devolution being something that goes to, you know, disenfranchised towns and ultimately communities across the country. And so that leveling up agenda is. Is supposed to also be empowering communities. But I guess the feeling is from the district council saying, you know, we, we are sceptical about this and, and the county council's not necessarily engaging because I think there's a lot of mistrust. I genuinely think, and this is nothing to do with local politicians um, in Norfolk or, or anywhere else, but I do think that there is a general mistrust from county councils and from county councillors at times, that actually, you know, town and parish and community councillors are probably more trouble than they're worth.
0: The, yeah, I think that they give the impression that they they feel that because they're district and town parish councillors, that they haven't got the capability. But I, I, I think that we've yeah, had this discussion. I,
1: I, I think we have, but I, th- I think it's as much that they think that, you know, the the... Less so the district, but but certainly probably the town. You know they're never going to be satisfied with something, and so I think it's one of those things where you say, if you're not going to be satisfied, we're basically just not going to involve you in the discussion, and you know basically allow the adults in the room to make that decision. Mm. And that's not reflective of the Norfolk devolution deal, but I think it's generally a feeling that comes down through the the types of things that Jonathan Flowers has said, the type of things like the district council network has said, which is I think there's a real misunderstanding as to how town parish and community councils kind of operate. And I don't think they generally understand it, and I don't think they have a huge amount of interest in it. But I suspect that actually, you know, if if they need money and they need money for services delivering in the community, town and parish councils can often help with that, and and you yeah. know, with no limits to precept raising uh, capabilities, it means that actually, you know, town and, and community councils can actually probably channel funding into services far better than district and counties
0: can at the moment and I think the thing the point that I was making last time when we had this conversation was that um, how I found that our electoral system and our governing system was was beyond understanding really when you think about it you know we we're, we're electing people at all levels who, um, who don't necessarily have the experience that goes with running the country. So for example, um, when was the last time that we had someone in charge of the NHS, an MP in charge of the NHS who actually ever stepped foot to work in a hospital? You know, I mean, so, would, you, um, would
1: you want a health secretary who, who has had to work? Well, would you want a health secretary that's worked in the NHS? I mean, do you think that actually having a clinically led department is a good thing? Or do you think having someone with other skills, skills in, for instance, procurement or in business management <gasps> or business administration, or is a, has run a successful company? Obviously, I don't think, you know, I can't think of a, a, a good health minister that's probably done many of those things. But don't you think that that is sometimes more important to, to running a department than having like direct clinical experience? No, and, and the, the most the
0: important clients? thing to run in a department is that you know what is on the ground floor before you get to the top floor. What and you mean if you're, is fine. You you will find, you know, you, you'll you go through the procurement process and, and you you will get that experience as you go along. The fact is that every four or five years, we're electing somebody to come along to run the highest employer, the third highest employer in the world. And we're asking somebody who's got no experience for that whatsoever, um, and you know, and, and saying to them, okay, you you go out there and you keep this sinking ship afloat. And and it is by the time they've worked out what's actually happening, well, the time's up and and they're being reelected or or they're being replaced because of the cabinet shuffles or something like that that is not that's not how you would run a commercial business so why are we running our country in this way the education system is the same it's not just the nhs it's the is the education system as well you know do we we need people to stand for election who've got experience in how to run these departments you've got the social um, You've got the civil servants who who should be there on no matter what government comes in and what government goes. You should have the civil servants who are capable of running those departments. But I think whenever you look back over the years and you look back to the state that the NHS is in at the moment, then that's not something that's just come because there's been different... Um, ministers in in place running, you know, these, these departments as such as education, education and the NHS, most important, uh, departments that the government, you know, that, that have to oversee. And, um, so, so, so if the civil servants aren't keeping things ticking over, if there's nobody looking on to what they're actually doing, then, you know, we've got a serious, serious problem here, Um, And I I I don't see how anybody's going to pull us out of this because nobody's got the experience to look and think we're wasting money on top management that are just pushing the papers around. We need to take it back down and we need to start from the bottom upwards and making sure there's more people on the ground floor than there is on the top floor. And it doesn't seem to be anybody who's got the common sense to do that.
1: I mean, do you think that the... The role of the council has changed over the past two decades as in as as local authorities do you think that the services that are being delivered and the way in which councils of of all tiers kind of act in their areas has changed
0: i don't know that i think that they there's a lot more Uh, involvement from from the town and district councils to what there was 20 years ago, I think um, 20 years ago, it was just simply you dealt with the services that needed to be done. The bins needed to be emptied, the roads being swept, the grass being cut, the verges being cut, you know, things that of that nature was, was happening. But I think now, and as a district council, I know in the short time that I was on the district council, that, um, the things had evolved with, you know, with the health healthcare and the PCTs as they were at that time. And uh, so there is a lot more involvement in, in that way, uh, for how services are being delivered on that side of things. But I think that there should be a lot more Involvement in, I should think that I think there should be a lot more uh, questions asked and answers coming forward uh, from um, from those that are overseeing in in the local side of things. But no, I think that there's definitely a lot more responsibilities from town and and district councils to what's happening. And uh, but I, I still don't think there's enough there's enough um, questions being asked and um, and the right answers being given as to why things happen the way they do sometimes
1: i mean i'm just thinking about how you you're right i think that you know local authorities used to provide kind of statutory and additional services they used to kind of i think enable more um and they used to kind of be have a little bit more laissez-faire. So I think, with the budget cuts that have happened, and you know, the the basically the the fact that services are going up in terms of cost and budgets are going down in real terms, whether you know, councils are becoming a little more kind of, I guess doing more interventions in the local mm. communities and the local economy as well in using the levers that they have such as planning and i think this was something that was covered in the recent article in in the political quarterly which is saying that you know councils are far more often going to be using their services to Basically make the changes that they want via businesses through offering incentives, but also then linking that to potential grant funding or or, or you know planning conditions et cetera to get local people into high skilled jobs. Do you think that local councils have sufficient expertise to be able to do this. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, you you hear more and more about principal councils having to issue warnings around either financial irregularities or financial basically calamity. And I just think that as councils start to move towards more of a commercial way of looking at things, are officers basically keeping up no,
0: uh, well, well I, I say no, and and don't get me wrong. You know, we uh, we've got some really amazing officers who work so so hard to try to keep things afloat. I think that um, it's as you say because things are there's a lot more responsibility coming along and we, we have to find more innovative ways of making things work as um, you know and again with the with the budgets that they have it's is a case of constantly trying to find ways that we can we can use that income so uh, but Again, is it, you know, is is local government, uh, it used to be many, many years ago, if you, you know, if you were working for local government or you were working in a bank, something, you know, these things were, were there for life. And you'd got, you know, you would you would build up that experience and you, you would go through. Now, I don't know that local government is such an attraction anymore. I know that, um, you know, talking about experience, I know whilst I was a planning portfolio holder for trying to find planning officers that um, – wanted to be part of local government was was very, very hard. And, you know, the ones that had been in local government for many, many years were being tempted out to go to the private sector. So it's, it's no, I, I don't know that they have got the expertise that's needed these days. And I think that we maybe, you know, somebody needs to look at that as well to see that we need to get... Um, we need to start some kind, of, and again with Broadland, they were doing quite a lot of um, uh, bringing a lot of young people straight from university in, and then trying to see if they could keep them, you know, to go through to go through the years. And I guess maybe the other thing as well is the expertise that was there, twenty-five years. That you know, people had been working at, at Broadland for twenty five years plus, and it came to you know retirement time. So that experience has has retired. And did we have enough people to then follow in their footsteps before we let them go? Um, I don't know, uh, but no, I would. Again, it's the same thing. You know, I'm sitting saying about we need somebody in in government who's got the experience. It does need people, even at this at local level, it needs to be people who who have experience in what's happening and where it's happening. You know, we, I, we, we had a full council meeting on Monday evening and we were discussing um, an application for alterations to, to the roundabout that um, is, is local to us. So but we but we've been talking about it and we just happened to have in attendance the local um a local sergeant, was he? Um in you know in the meeting. And whilst we were talking about this this roundabout and the safety of the residents who wanted to be crossing over on the roundabout, you know, he he gave us his, his advice as as a previous traffic um policeman. So, um, you know, is, is things, you know, is in, in that, Concept. Having somebody who's who's dealt with numerous accidents, as as he had said, and he could see the benefits of or the non-benefits of, of what was being proposed for that roundabout. It's it, that's what it needs to be. It needs to be an input from people who've got the experience, as opposed to a committee that's sitting there thinking, Yep. If we get rid of those cars and we just have bikes, then life is going to be so wonderful, but we're not going to get rid of cars. Cars are always going to be there. So we have to make sure that whenever we're spending millions of pounds on re-evolving re, um, re our roadways, that we have to, um, to make sure that the money is being spent wisely and it's not going to be, you know, something that's not going to benefit the rest of the community in, in a few years time. But so I, there's a, I digress, but it is a case of if you, you say is the experience there, I don't know that the experience is there anymore, but we should be trying to get that experience in by people who have worked in the sectors that um, is going to, um, you know, give the information and the advice that's going to be beneficial, as opposed to people who are, have been elect- elected and no experience in what's been happening, and making decisions that can seriously affect people's lives because there wasn't anybody there to give the input that was needed. Does that make sense? or am I, am Yeah, I, no, it, um... it does
1: make sense. I mean, it, it kind of brings me on to something that was, I think, mentioned a few days ago um, by one of the councillors over in Birmingham, um, Bridget Jones, who said that there should be more professionalisation for councillors and that actually it should be a full-time profession as part of devolution. And it would give councillors the ability to to specialise, to lead their authorities. And I think she makes a, a good point in saying that the population of some cities in the UK is similar to small countries. And actually having full-time councillors instead of part-time councillors is probably a, a step forward that's going to be required. And it will attract a wide range of people if they give them the proper remuneration and the pension benefits as yeah. well.
0: I mean, yeah. do you think that that should happen? Yes, I, I do, actually. Um, I think that's an excellent uh, way forward. I think that maybe, you know, is, we, we're in a well, democracy. she's a Labour
1: councillor, so would you say now that it's such a good <laughs> idea?
0: <laughs> I'm one for all and all for one. So, no, I, I think that um, as, as we are talking, I, I'm, I'm just sitting thinking to myself, yeah, it's, you, you know, again, I've said you put somebody in place for four years, four or five years. Well, it's, it's not even that sometimes with cabinet. It changes on a, a couple of years. So that's not giving anybody any length of time to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. I know that's um, a counsellor from the County Council who was a portfolio holder, he took on... Um, it's a um, bit
1: of um, <laughs> nice bit He of took
0: on a, um, a portfolio that really had been failing seriously. But he took the commitment and he said, I'm going to turn this around. And in three years... I think it is now. He's turned that department around beyond any recognition to what it was um, even twenty years ago. You know, he's he's turned it around unbelievably, but he had the time and the commitment to do that, whereas you know, if somebody, whenever he leaves, it'll be somebody else who will come along and um, and then th- they'll have to start from scratch, working out, finding out how things work and, and, and finding a way forward to make things better on a very low budget. And I think that's what probably would be a good idea is to say, okay, we still elect our MPs on a four or five year basis, but when it comes to local government, you need to have that consistency you need to have that experience in place so maybe extend the elections and and maybe turn it into eight or 10 years um experience again I mean, you, you when it comes to to being a councillor mostly as i've said way back in the beginning it's elderly people who've retired who will take up you know who who will stand for election in in local government because the way that the process works, you don't get, for, for, for town and parish council, you know that you don't get paid a penny for the hours and the time that you put into it. As a district councillor, and I know that Broadland for many, many years was the lowest paid councillors in the country. So um, you cannot possibly live on off the money that you get paid as a district councillor you, you just couldn't do that that's just not a possibility so you have to continue working and younger people have to continue working full time and the, try to juggle the you know the the, the position as a councillor so is and again that's you, you need to be really committed to to what you're what you're you know what you're belief is and what you want to see for your community to to continue to do that, to work full-time, go to meetings in the evenings, go to meetings at the weekends, and then juggle your days around in work so that you you can get out and go to the meetings that are important. So that whole system needs to be in my opinion, that needs to be re-looked at and it needs to be, you know, to to get us into any kind of standing, you need to have uh, counsellors that can come. You've got the officers that are doing the work and they're doing, you know, they're working hard and they're doing a fantastic job, but you also need somebody as a counsellor who's going to oversee that work and make sure it's what's best for the community and not just what some, um, you know, some of the officers feel that is is beneficial when necessary. I mean, not necessarily I, so.
1: You obviously get the enhancements for being portfolio holders and for you know basically running the authority. Although it is nowhere near the remuneration, obviously that officers get. And I do see the argument for. You know, bringing people in who are younger into standing for election, and that they won't be losing out professionally by doing it, and that remuneration would be a good way uh, of securing that. I, I take on your point that extending the terms would be um, beneficial, especially in terms of planning for people who are younger are looking for some job security, as opposed to what is pretty much, you know, fixed term contract almost. Um, but whether or not you could have it for all councillors, I mean, if you have you know seventy councillors in a larger unitary authority, do you want them all to be salaried, or is it just a certain percentage of them who are taking on the, the jobs that they already are kind of doing in in terms of running a portfolio, and that they should just be paid a greater amount, or do you think that actually it should be less councillors? paid it in a kind of meaningful senior executive kind of board member kind of salary, good pension arrangements. And actually then you're pushing more towards the kind of idea with devolution of having a, a mayoral led with, with deputy yeah. mayors um, running services. And it's then just how far you want that to go. I, I completely accept what you're saying about members of parliament. And I think that, you know, as councils do do more, there should be more. Uh, kind of benefit for for some members who are you know pretty much doing a full time job, but I also think you know the role of a scrutiny department is incredibly important in all of this, and I actually think that the issue with a lot of principal councils is just a lack of good scrutiny, and I think that you even like looking at kind of more local district and county councillors, not necessarily ones where we're working, but you do see the behaviour and the attitude of some members. And I think the majority of the time it's probably frustration that they're not being listened to and that the mechanisms that should be in place to enable their voice to be heard through things such as scrutiny – Aren't sufficient, and so therefore the only way they feel they can get their voice heard is by being disrupted. The other
0: thing that I think that we need to do as as um, as local um, tier of government is that we're going to have to find more innovative ways for us getting the money in, as opposed to getting it in through a precept. So everybody knows that you know that we get the the precept on a yearly basis from. the the district council that sent through to us, but that's just enough to cover the wages and, uh, and to make sure that, you know, all the services are provided. But I think we're going to have to move forward on finding other ways of income and, the town council is is working is working on that really well. We are finding other ways of of getting uh, funding ourselves, and I think that's what's going to have to happen. We sit and say, "I think the government's not given us enough money." The county are saying, "The government's not given us enough money for uh, adult services, or for children's services, or for uh, you know moving on with all the uh, development." Some people will say in in Norwich and Norfolk that they've got too much money for uh, highways. But, um, you know, we we sit and say that the government isn't giving us enough money. Maybe what we need to do as a district and county council is that we have to find ways of bringing that money in ourselves that's going to be beneficial for our communities, as opposed to sitting thinking, you know, we, we need that money from the government.
1: Absolutely. You know, I was sitting chatting to some other clerks the other day, and one of the questions that kind of goes around is how big's your precept and I always think that's an really unusual question because the, the the idea of precept really is that when you have your kind of you your basically what it costs the council to to run each year, you then minus the income and then that pretty much leaves you with a precept of, of what you require from the district council and I think A better way of thinking about it almost would be to say, how much income do you generate each year? Like, how clever can councils be to generate income as opposed to it being more reliant upon how much do you ask the taxpayer to give you each year? As opposed to, you know, what's your total budget? You know, how much money do you make through things like... You know, your, your buildings, your, your outdoor services, any additional traded services. And I think one of the biggest things that I would like to see especially at town parish and community council is more support from the district councils to be able to say these are the contracts that we have coming up in terms of grass cutting street lighting Mm -hmm. anything else like that that the council may also be providing in the area Mm -hmm. let's all chip in together put everything together into a bundle and and let's start tendering these things out and do joint procurement and Mm -hmm. if not with the district then do it with each other and i know Through some town and parish councils that I've worked with and and one that's very close by to you, you know, we tried this and it was turned down as what I would see as more of an act of political kind of tribalism as opposed to anything else. And actually, when you're just talking about grass cutting, etc., I don't see an issue with... You know, you just buying grass cutters, you know, you have staff like in a larger authority like the one that you work with in Thorpe, you know, and why not trade those services out to other smaller town and parish councils that won't necessarily have that, or the ones that do just pull it all together and, and, you know, get greater return for the taxpayer that way as opposed to relying more and more on precept. Mm hmm.
0: And you see, that was, that was the, whenever uh, Broadland and South Norfolk, whenever they merged, that was what it was all about. It was all saving cost savings. And, uh, and they've done it, you know, over, over the period of time, they are, um, you know, they are um, saving quite a lot of uh, costings whenever it comes to um, joint uh, ventures. But uh, yeah, we did ask uh, the, the neighbouring parish town if they, would, if they would like to come along with us and, um, and try to cut the costs. But no, and you say it's political, but it shouldn't have been that way. It should have been a case, let's see what's best for the communities around us and see whether we can make things more, you know, uh, more cost effective than, uh, than doing it on our own. We are, what are we, maybe three miles apart? And um, and you would have thought, you know, that would have been um, the way forward. But it's, you know, it's it. It, it just needs a be. lot more. Sorry,
1: it just wasn't to be.
0: No, and it, it needs to be a lot more. Um, Thinking outside of the box, than uh, sitting thinking. Well, no, because if this all works well, it'll go well for them because they're conservatives and we're Labour, and um, and that's not how it should be. On the first tier of local government, it's not meant to be political; it's meant to be for the community. And
1: I think my final thoughts, at least from this podcast. Unless there's something else you wanted to add, T.M.
0: No, no, no. I'm 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 good to go. I,
1: I think I will reserve the last few seconds just for a bit of special praise to six MPs who I think in the last week have put a Uh, early day motion forward relating to intimidation at community parish and town councils, which draws together a lot of the issues around civility and respect that we've spoken about on here and has certainly been on the agenda of NALC, the SLCC, One Voice Wales, and of course the Association of Local Council Clerks, which is the the union which uh, council clerks tend to belong to. Just to say that, you know, there's a small minority of councils um who have bullying, intimidation and harassment of officers and councillors by sometimes councillors, sometimes members of the public and sometimes each other. And I think it's really good that MPs have started to raise this issue. And my real hope is that this, along with the idea of virtual meetings and, and actually making time in Parliament for that, I have no idea why so much time can go into uh, devolution and levelling up. And yet this massive step forward is still one step too far.
0: Yeah, But again, you know, it, 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 you can say that about so many, so many things that we're trying to get to I don't
1: want to say about so many things. I want to say about <laughs> this.
0: Yes. I totally agree with you. Thank you for listening to the Standing Orders podcast by Politis. Please like and subscribe to get your weekly edition. You can suggest topics by emailing podcast at politisconsulting.co.uk. See you next week.